And now it's time for Chris Murphy and the Council Roundup. Um, obviously, you know, you know, when Greg was going to be on vacation this week, that uh, it would be a three and a half hour council meeting because, after oh, all, course. I'm the Murphy that they wrote Murphy's Law after. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but I am. Yeah. Well, um, there but, you go. Yeah, it was a three and a half hour meeting last night, and uh, let's get right to it because we got a lot of stuff to cover here in the next 45 minutes. The council roundup, by the way, courtesy of Head West Sub Stop. When you want a great sub, you got to head west. Everybody knows that. Anyway, let's get started with the budget because uh, I, I am uh, the fiscal conservative that that, that I am, mm-hmm. also known as cheap bastard. <laughs> That's me. Um, I, I'm always keeping an eye on the numbers here. So, Misty, give me the numbers. The corporate fund in the month of August had a beginning balance of fourteen million four hundred fifty-eight thousand five hundred eighty-five dollars. We took in total receipts of nine million nine hundred seventy-one thousand five hundred thirteen dollars. We had total disbursements in the month of August of $9,776,391, which left the corporate fund with an ending balance in the month of August of one, I'm sorry, $14,651,707. All right. So uh, we did, we went up a little bit, not mm-hmm. much, but we went up a little, you know, about, about another $200,000, which is good. You know, I mean, obviously, we, we're concerned about uh, uh, the tax revenue that's coming in and uh, other other factors involved. Now, uh, of course, uh, Bill McCarty took to the stage then and drilled down a little bit more on those numbers to find out exactly what we can expect here. And there still is a storm of brewing, but actually it looks a little bit uh, less intense. So if you look at uh, page two, the corporate fund revenue loss scenarios as a percentage versus budget, I just want to point your attention to state and city sales tax. We did get another month and we got the month of June and the month of June was significant because that's when the state went from phase two, I believe, to phase three. And so as expected, we did see quite an uptick in the month of June. We actually, when we take the budget and we spread it out based on previous experience, When you look at what we actually did in June versus that spread, we were up 3% over what was expected or budgeted for state sales tax, still 3% under for city sales tax. Not terribly unexpected, like I said. We talked about this internally for a while, and there had been all this, we believe, pent-up demand from March and April and May. Once things really opened up quite a bit in the month of June, we expected to see an uptick. This is a little higher than we anticipated, but certainly not terribly unexpected with what uh, what we thought might happen. So we took those numbers, we talked about it internally, and for now we decided to leave the projections going forward at the same level they were last month because we want to wait and see what happens when we get the October. That would be July taxes, which would coincide with moving to phase four, which at that point in time, depending on what we see, we'll make the adjustments then. But we have incorporated the actual numbers through September into the numbers that you have in front of you. And that does improve the situation a little bit. Yeah, let's get to that a little because it does improve it a little bit. And again, we don't want to get too uh, ahead of ourselves here and starting to party, yay, or whatever. But Springfield is doing a little bit better, at least as far as June revenue goes. And that was when we were in phase three. We didn't get to phase four till the end of that month. So pretty much in phase three, we saw a nice rebound uh, in sales tax expenditure and other things in the Springfield economy. 
and uh, that translated into a little bit better than the projections uh, uh, did uh, uh, perceive. Not by much. Not by no. much. There, were, there wasn't much of that. As a matter of fact, as you heard uh, uh, Budget Director McCarty talk about the fact that they were going to keep the projections the same because they really want to take a look at July. That's going to give us a really good snapshot. Those October numbers are going to be uh, looking at July, and that was uh, pretty much when we were in Phase 4 and the bars were all open and the restaurants were open for some at least limited inside dining, and we'll get a really good handle on what exactly is being spent in the Springfield economy right now. I mean, we'll keep our fingers crossed on everything, but so far it looks so good. However, there are still a few questions, and of course, uh, the departments are trying to tighten down a little bit on uh, what's going on. And uh, I believe it was Alderman Donlin, uh, either that or Alderman Redpath, one of the two, that that had some questions about the fire department budget. And uh, let's hear how that went. I mean, we we can't have another million dollar overtime um, bill at at the end of the year. It just it it, it can't happen. So um, with that. Here's the man of the moment. So, <laughs> okay, so yeah, so they're talking to the man of the moment. They were talking about the fire department and the fact that they did have a million dollar bill uh, in overtime for last year. So uh, Chief Riney decided to take to the microphone and, and explain Johnny on his the head. spot, yep. or Alan on the spot. Yeah, and while while he's walking up here, uh, the mayor's right. There was uh, a period where there was a nice plateau of overtime. It was as expected, but it was actually I think last year, Mayor, when we saw the big jump, and that's continued into this year. So I'll let the chief step in and give his Sorry to blindside you. No, it's all good. It's a good question. Uh, so last year was, in our opinion, an anomaly. It spiked up because of injuries. It, it, I call it the perfect storm. You had military injuries and um, increased sick time. And that has not in and of itself changed. What is correct, and the mayor and I talked about, is a lot of our um, a lot of our overtime this year. We still have people out injured. We still have long-term injuries that we normally uh, don't have, but we have definitely seen an increase because of. And, and here's the hard part with COVID. It's real easy if we ground somebody and say you can't come to work and we uh, hire people back to fill that because they've been grounded for COVID. But what is impossible to know is when somebody has a, uh, a child at home that maybe is, well, they were exposed or we have to get them tested or we don't know those one or two day events where they're picking up the phone and calling in. And that is what, if you look at our sick time, I'm not talking about long-term illnesses. I'm not talking about military. We track all of that. We tracked all of that well, not for long enough in my opinion, but I've only had control over that for the last few years. Okay, so they're talking a little bit about the situations that are leading to the overtime and one of those big factors is the COVID-19 because as uh Chief Riney mentioned and something we're hearing from the schools and, you know, family situations with COVID-19 and many of the firefighters are also the, the care providers and have to adjust their schedule accordingly and may have to miss work because of the fact that somebody in their house has COVID-19. Not not uh, predominantly the issue with overtime, but certainly one of the factors that goes in there. That leads to a whole different can of worms because remember, we have that pile of money. It's about 
four and a half million, I think, of uh, COVID uh, that can be directed for COVID-19 expenses. So where do we drill down and where does it come in where COVID-19 related overtime expenses uh, filling in for some worker that has COVID-19 on the fire department or the police department or any other city uh, government entity for that matter? Where does it drill down and give us the right to pile into that money to pay for some of that overtime, you know? And and that's going to be what's tough. As Chief Riney brought up about the breakdown that he's been doing of his numbers in his department of where exactly things are coming from. You know, some of these are coming from overtime. Some of these are coming from military commitments. Some of these are coming from actual sickness or injury on the job, you know, or whatever. You know, he's he's doing a good job breaking that down. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we, need, we need more of the COVID-19 <laughs> get the you know to, to get that overtime down you know the the covid-19 expenses they yeah. are covered with that uh, with that portal of money that we've been given for covid-19 expenses in the city of Springfield um, anyway, we'll drill down more on that coming up a little bit on the budget. But obviously, the big issue last night was that TIF that was going on mm-hmm. and whether or not that's going. And, and we'll start to get to some of that and unpeel a little bit of that coming up. Plus, uh, a good number of the meeting, not only 90 minutes spent on debating that TIF, and we'll get the highlights of that. But we also have uh, the, the uh, citizens chiming in. Uh, a lot to do with that ordinance that's coming down the pike that's being drawn up right now by Alderman Gregory and Alderman Turner. And uh, we'll get to some mm-hmm. information about that and, and, and get a little bit uh, uh, insight on that because I know a lot of people have been speculating about that, but we'll talk about that and, and see exactly what's going to be coming on the uh, um, Committee of the Whole agenda for next week, and that's all on the way. We're rolling along in the agenda, and we're about 30 minutes into the meeting, and we start to get to uh, the one item that was pulled out you know, of the agenda, which uh, everybody expected to be, and that's the TIF financing continuing for uh, the uh, Ferguson Booth uh, Bateman Kennedy buildings downtown. And uh, this was uh, obviously a, a lot of contention here in this. And, and one of the big things that you're going to find in the back and forth of the hour and a half that they spent discussing this before they voted on it, an hour and a half, and they also heard uh, from uh, a one citizen, in fact, it's Chef Michael Higgins, and we mentioned uh, he got his footloose moment. And we'll talk about that here and play what he had to say. It's going to be a longer piece, and we'll do that after the news right now. But uh, the main players right now were obviously, they, were, they seemed to be okay with the uh, uh, you know signing off of Rick Lawrence on the project and that uh, affidavit that circled around and all the aldermen were able to see that that's kind of what brought it back onto the table as far as that redevelopment goes. But one of the things the aldermen were obviously a little gun shy because they'd been burned by that uh, uh, by Lawrence before on the tip for these buildings. But the other part of it was too is that there was some confusion and and Alderman Turner brought this up initially and Alderman Conley came along and eventually those two were two of the four that ended up voting no on this proposal you know i I hate to be the spoiler there it's six four passes but with that with that said the confusion was is whether or not this project was going to be considered a new project or a continuation of the project and of course you might remember the 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 initial tiff was for only two of those three buildings lawrence had acquired that third building during that without approval of the council and kind of uh, uh re-engineered the tiff and kind of started some work done and then didn't pay for the work that was started on that bill on those buildings and more you know there that's where the confusion started so aldermen were trying to get a clarification of whether or not this was a new or a continuing project. And the reason that's significant is because of the fact that the aldermen, since the 
debacle of the first TIF with Lawrence had created some more rules and regulations in regard to TIFs that had to be followed. And it was unclear whether the developer, the new developer, was going to have to follow those or not. And I think it even passed without even clarification on that. So, uh, you know, it, it was it was certainly a confusing part of it. But we're going to talk about that and what initially got it passed. And we're also going to hear from Chef Michael Higgins, who addressed the council. And like I said, I thought he had his footloose moment and maybe uh, steered a couple of votes that were thinking of nay into the yay category and eventually resulting into that passing. We'll play all of that coming up for you here after the news. Three and a half hour meeting and we're breaking it down for you right now and we're getting to the part you know where the discussions are going on and, and I'm trying to you know about the about the TIF that's downtown uh, for the Ferguson booth and uh, Bateman Kennedy buildings and I'm trying to figure out exactly how this is going to go and, and I, as I'm listening to this at 2.30 this morning I'm going like I really don't know where this is going to go here. It seems like there, it, it seems pretty close that a lot of uh, aldermen are supporting it. A lot are not. Uh, the mayor even chimed in with uh, his support for it, saying, you know, making it an outstanding point in all of this about the fact that, uh, uh, you know, if this thing goes into foreclosure, then we still just have nothing downtown. And, we're, you know, this is our shot to get some kind of development going. And I really, like I said, I, I saw it going down as a 5-5 split, maybe the mayor breaking the tie or something along those lines um and uh all of a sudden uh in walks in chef michael higgins from maldner's restaurant and uh like i said uh here uh, this is going to be a lengthy clip here but here is uh the chef's uh footloose moment yeah i call it that you know because in footloose oh, remember yeah. when kevin bacon makes the makes the, the uh dancing appeal to crime the, yeah. yeah to the to the city council well here's chef higgins um michael higgins maldner's restaurant downtown um Speaking to this project, this building is set empty for a long time, longer than 10 years, four years, a long time. When we had the pigeon guy that was gonna come and get rid of all the pigeon whisperer, this building was the main house for pigeons in our downtown. How long ago was that? It was. 25 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> At least. Wow. When the pigeon whisperer was here. I um, still hear him whisper. What? <laughs> so I'm listening to it, and then I listen to uh, Alderwoman Conley say that other developers might want to come along, and we should wait for them to come along. Well, you have a developer that wants to take care of all the debt required, uh, incurred by Rick Lawrence to the unions and the workers. You think another developer would do that? Or they would just be out in the cold. You can take your chance on that, but I don't know too many developers that would say what this gentleman has said. So you have someone that wants to make this project good on something that someone else did. We talked about um, ethnic, um, what would this do for the ethnic community? Well, as your downtown grows, Maybe jobs grow. Maybe jobs grow within walking distance of people who don't have cars. Uh, maybe jobs grow with, uh, with uh, new people growing, coming into the community. And now we look at our downtown. Augie's gone. Vele gone. Robbie's gone. Feed store gone. Um, Talkology going. The Hilton up for... Uh, um, uh, auction. auction. 
That's your downtown. That's your future. You look, you want to see a real good future of your downtown? Go to the top of, we do a 186 School Foundation dinner. Go to the top of Horace Mann, where the employees dine and have their meeting rooms. Look down on the window facing east, along 9th Street, 10th Street, and 11th Street. And look at the development along there. There's your future for your downtown, because there is none. You want, uh, you, uh, you, want, um, you want developers to come downtown, but the major projects that we've asked for developers to come downtown have not happened. A lot of communities look at these projects. They say, oh, this project right here costs too much TIF money. This costs the city too much. Some cities look at that and say, we can't do it because of that. Some cities say, developer, we'll give you more. Because they're not looking at this development. They're looking at what this development does for this whole community here and this neighborhood, whether it's uh, gentrification, and I know that's sometimes not a nice word, but how it affects the whole neighborhood, not just the money spent on this development. Because as this development goes forward, spurs maybe new development, creates a, 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 a um, uh, more people living in your downtown, which goes back to what she was saying about a 24-hour community instead of a nine-to-five community. Going back to what Mr. Redpath was saying, look at your downtown, where's the future? Major hotel going away maybe? More restaurants going away? Obviously more office spaces going away. That's your future? Fight over how much money this guy is going to get. Fight over Rick Lawrence and what he did to us. Fight over all that and give this guy, not give this guy a chance, who is willing to take all that stuff that Rick Lawrence caused and help get it out of our mouths, the bad taste out of our mouths. He's willing to give us chiclets so our breath smells better. And, but go ahead, fight with him. And in the meantime, look at your downtown. <laughs> you know, Mayor was saying Fortillo's wanted to go out west. You know why they wanted to go out west? They did the demographics. Maybe if they could do the demographics downtown, they would have been able to come downtown if we had the demographics for it. But we don't. We made this community spread out. People ask me where my competition is. My competition is Veterans Parkway because people don't need to cross Veterans Parkway. They can stay out there. I need a vibrant downtown for my business to go. All the uh, shops and stuff need a vibrant downtown for their businesses to go. Springfield wants to give up its history. What is Springfield's history? Springfield history is your downtown. Lincoln, the race riots, NAACP, all happened downtown, not west of Veterans Parkway. All downtown. This is your heart, but let it go because you got bad taste for Rick Lawrence in your mouth. 
and you can't see that a project has a bigger effect on its community than just the project. Thank you. All right. There you go. Yeah. That's what he had to say. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he makes some outstanding points in all of that. You know, what are we going to do with the downtown if we don't get this passed? But I also understand the other side of the coin in that uh, you have to have accountability. You have to have uh, following the rules. And that's kind of what uh, Alderman Conley and Alderman Turner were bringing up. And Alderman Conley still frustrated about uh, whether or not the new guidelines for TIFs are going to be followed by this new developer. I'm trying to follow up with Alderwoman Turner point, which is that the rules have changed for the city of Springfield, and we have enhanced requirements for new bidding, so, and again, I, I still haven't gotten an answer, and I don't I don't know, Alderman Turner, if, if you have, will those new requirements be applied to this project, as they should be, because they were adopted by this council? All right. Well, anyway, so there you go. And we never really got the answer to that question before the vote was taken. You know, it's assumed that they're going to have to uh, at least answer to a little bit different uh, than Rick Lawrence did. But whether or not those uh, those are the uh, entire uh, enormity of the what the changes that the council had made to TIFs, uh, we don't know because we don't know the status of it, uh, and whether it's a continuing project or if it's a new project we're being considered. But uh, it was finally time after an hour and a half to take the roll, so they did right now. Alderman Redpath? Aye. Alderman Gregory? Aye. Alderman Turner? No. Alderman Fulgenzi? Aye. Alderman Proctor? Yes. Alderwoman DeCento? Yes. Alderman McMenamin? Yes. Alderwoman Conley? No. Alderman Donnelly? No. Donnelly? No. No. Alderman Hanauer? No. Okay, we have three no's and uh, seven no. yes. No, you got the you got the vote wrong. It's five to five. Six, six to four. Six to four. No, no. There was confusion reigning over the score. It indeed was six four in the end. It did pass in that. But yeah, there were there were the first we thought it was seven three, then it was five five, and now it's six okay. four. So six four is the final score, and that TIF does pass. So uh, work will continue on that building, and uh, we'll see what happens with the downtown. Since Head West always seems to give you more for your money when you go in there, we're going to give them more for their money. They're going to sponsor the overtime of the Council Roundup here <laughs> from Ed West Substop. When you want a great sub, you got to head west because we, we didn't get to everything in three and a half hours. You know, it was tough to chop up a little bit because there's really some important stuff. Obviously, that TIF important, but also important is, you know, the details of the uh, forthcoming ordinance that will involve the Springfield Police Department. And uh, Chief Kenny Winslow addressed the council last night at the end during the new business to talk a little bit about what that proposal uh, Proposal is going to look like what that amendment, or, or I should say, what that ordinance will look like, uh, being drawn up by Alderman Sean Gregory and Alderman Doris Turner. And uh, here's the chief addressing the council last night. I got a draft over the weekend. I called Alderman Turner, Alderman Gregory, asked if we could have a meeting today. They graciously met with us, heard our concerns. I think we've come to an agreement here as we move forward. But I sent to you folks two and a half weeks ago or so our pledge to professionalism. And it's on our website, it's everywhere. It's how, I, how we're gonna run our department, how we run our department. 
we could have waited for the state to come up with their ideas of reforms or the feds to come up with their ideas of reform. When I looked at all those things that were going around from our meetings with senators and legislators and congressmen, et cetera, we realized that we're already doing the vast majority. Additionally, we have to be the leaders here. As I sit and I look at some of these incidents that occur around the country, and we dissect them and we debrief them as a form of training for our department so that if officers are in similar situations, they've already kind of thought through it, they know what options they have to there. It's obvious to me as a chief that there aren't, we don't all have the same standards. We don't all have the same training. And there needs to be some kind of either statewide standard or national standard when it comes to U.S. force, in my opinion. And I've made that argument with chiefs around the state. I continue to do that. But again, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. Use of force is very, very ugly. This is an ugly profession. We're going to use force as police officers, and we're going to get called on the carpet for it. But that's what our job is, and that's what people need to remember. I worry that we might be at Kenosha. Two days before Kenosha, I have an officer chasing a gentleman on a shot spiral call that started out on Ash Street that ended up on North 11th Street. And as he comes around the corner, he points a gun at my officer on body camera. And if it wasn't for a, the skills and an older, more mature officer who's a two-time vet of Iraq, it probably would have ended different, and he would have been justified. And a life would have been lost, most likely. But that's just one of four incidents in the past five and a half weeks where guns have been pulled on officers, officers have confronted people with guns, a standoff with one where they waved several hours and waved guns at officers. And we did the right thing. Then the guy ran into my squad car and we still get him out without using deadly force. We're not perfect. We use force that's ugly, but we all have to strive to do better. And that's what we're trying to do. Again, we're not perfect. We're gonna make mistakes here and there. But with that said, as a profession, we have to grow and we have to learn. And my officers, I'm sure there's some talk about what might be in that um, resolution. I'm probably going to send it out tomorrow. Since it was announced tonight, I'm probably going to send it out and let them see it. And then we'll probably have discussions about what's in there. You know, we'll probably wait till the, I'll probably get with Mr. Zirkel and Corporation Council tomorrow to get the final draft before I send it out. But again, you know, I will wait. <laughs> but we have to be willing to understand that law enforcement has a very, very difficult job right now. Our community has a very difficult job. And it takes every one of us up here, every one of you, mm -hmm. that if something does go sideways, because it's going to happen. You know, if you look historically throughout my career, there's an officer involved shooting about every two years. That's what statistically will play out. You know, we don't want it to happen. We train for it don't to happen. But we also got to remember we have to educate the community on their rights so they know. That's a hard thing for law enforcement to do when someone doesn't know their rights and they think they're following their rights and they end up getting arrested for obstructing or something else. The other part is that we have to realize that we cannot grieve this on the side of the road. You have to comply with the officers on the side of the road. You cannot even resist an unlawful arrest by law. Okay? We have to all go home at night. Somebody said that earlier. Our community members, our officers, everybody. And then we'll sort it out. The most important thing is going home. And we've done... Um, 
educational seminars throughout the city over the years with that, partnering with the NAACP as well as other uh, uh, civic groups to do that. And we got to do more of that. And with COVID right now, we haven't been able to do it, but it's so important right now to get that out there and do that educational piece that we have to get to that point. But again, in order to move forward, we all got to work together. And as I said a minute ago, it's so important. We got to comply. We got to educate. We got to do the right things as police officers as well. And again, you know, uh, I look forward to the ordinance being read in a couple weeks. I'm sure I'll get called up here for some questions. I'm good with it. Okay. This is a difficult conversation. Um, I'm sure I'll get some officers who don't like it. I will tell you that um, for the most part, I've, I've already talked to my union president. He knows what uh, we put in our pledge. He agreed with it. Uh, he knows that we already do all that. Uh, I'll tell you right now, changes to PCRC, they're probably going to demand a bargain. But with that said, everything else I think they're on board with for the most part because it's what we already do. We don't need to turn this into something bigger than what it is. But with that said, you know, I'll be the first to say, I wasn't a big fan, still not really a big fan about codifying my general orders because I worry about need to change and coming back here if we need to change something when statutory law or case law changes. But we'll jump through what hoops we have to do because that's what we do as a professional organization. But I am going to have officers who messed up. We're going to have to hold our people accountable when they mess up, and we're going to move forward. But what I need your help for them is that I do believe that our whole country right now is a potential tinderbox, and we all got to work together. Thank you. All right, there you go, yeah. Chief Winslow. And he got a big round of applause after that, too, last night at the council meeting. And a lot of things uh, to dissect in, in just that particular statement. And one of the big ones is the fact that the chief is reporting that that just just in the last five weeks in four incidences in incidences. And these are these are these are backed up on body cameras. Police officers in the city of Springfield have had guns pointed at them. Yeah. You know, we're, we're he's absolutely right. We are lucky this hasn't become another Kenosha with yeah. all of this. And 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 you can't regardless of where you stand on on the use of police force, you cannot justify somebody pointing a weapon at a police officer yeah. and not allowing that officer to respond accordingly. You know, it's yeah. it, 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 it's it's a self-defense measure. We don't in, in a court of law. We don't allow people to be convicted of anything when they have a gun pulled on them. If, if all of a sudden if I'm carrying a gun and you, Kevin, pull a gun on me and I pull a gun back at you and shoot you, I'm justified that's in that. self-defense. Yeah, exactly. The, the court has said that's justified. Yeah. You know why we would have a different standard for police officers. That's the scary thing about all this. And this has happened five times in the last or I'm sorry, four times in the last five weeks. Mm. This has happened. You know, the chief is telling us this, you know, so th this is this is where, you know, when we talk about the tinderbox of the community and how things can quickly escalate. We have to have all sides being responsible, not just the police. In other words, if you as a citizen, a citizen of Springfield, you, me, and everybody else who lives in this town, we can't expect to be pulling guns on our police force and not be you know, shot. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. I'm not going to do it. I, we've got to have a pledge. This has got to stop. This whole pulling guns on cops has got to stop. We have to start respecting their lives. You know, and not not pulling guns on them. So anyway, uh, the, to to go on, uh, you know, they did have more uh, citizen debate even after that. And here's one citizen, and and I'm not I'm not exactly certain 
you know who exactly he's talking about but the, but uh, here is what one citizen addressing the the council had to say last night about talk radio and all of this whoops okay hold on a sec there we go now let's get it. now let me be clear on something i heard on the radio talk radio the most asinine statement about spd spd is not a model department for the rest of the world or this country I'll remind you of the Renata Frazier's, the police guardians, Ricky Davis, and others. I commend mayor and the chief on the work that has been done, but there's so much more work to be done. Again, I don't know if he's addressing me, but I did. I was trying to find the piece of tape where I said this. And I'm still going through the banks, but I was working on cutting this up. But I did say that. We you know, well, we, we we talked about that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, we did. We did. So I, yeah, might have been I talking did. about us. I did say, yeah, exactly. I did say that. You know, I did say that this has been a model, and where we were talking from is not from the history. You know, I to 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 that uh, to that uh, citizen's point. I'd also point out the police evidence room. There's there's other there's other things of non-racial bias that Springfield police have embarrassed us over. You know, definitely oh, yeah. in the history. You know, the, the 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 evidence room where all of a sudden we were missing all these drugs and stuff back in the 90s. It was yeah. crazy. You know, I mean, it's like yeah, there's been plenty of embarrassing moments. And no, the Springfield Police Department has not been a model all the time. I'm talking about from George Floyd up. And, and I, I stand by that statement, and I challenge anybody, what exactly has the Springfield Police done that has not been modeled from George Floyd in May all the way up to where we are now? Yeah, and I mean, I talked about it yesterday, but yeah. when I was covering one of the Black Lives Matter protests, there was Chief Kenny Winslow himself handing out water bottles to right. protesters. I mean, you know, that's what we're talking about. It's, right. You know, it's, it's the relationship between the community and the police, you know, at this time. it's Of course it has than, not been a model oh, history yeah. of the Springfield Police Department. There have been plenty of race issues. There have been plenty of evidence issues. There have been plenty of bad conduct issues. Absolutely. Like many other police forces. Oh, yeah. I, I'm talking May forward, and I stand by that statement. And if you think it's asinine, well, okay. But, but I stand by that statement. I don't think there have been many police departments that have performed better from George Floyd on than the Springfield Police Department.